and welcome into the latest edition of the Mutant Blitz podcast. I am your host, Josh Hennig. I wanted to take a few minutes to get into the latest edition of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Media. It's the third film of the Ant-Man franchise. And, you know, this is a first Mutant Blitz in a while, so... If you enjoy these reviews, I do, whether you catch them on my YouTube channel at Josh Hennig or whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, like, subscribe, share, and also give me some feedback how you feel, guys feel about these reviews because I'm going to explain a lot of the plot holes and the issues with this film because there's not a lot of problems with the Ant-Man the Wasp movie. I thought it was actually exceptionally well done. And it's really the first Marvel movie that got back to, for lack of a better term, the Marvel method that actually does what people love about Marvel and got away from, I think, the things that people didn't like as much about some of the other properties. Because, as a quick review, Phase 4, as I told you guys for years here on the Mutant Buzz podcast, was supposed to be a foundation layer for the next five, six years of Marvel films and shows. So I found that a lot of the issues that people had with, for example, Black Widow, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, The Eternals, a lot of these projects, even some of the TV shows, you know, people had some issues with She-Hulk, some people had issues with, uh, you know, Wanda and uh, Wanda and Vision, you know, their TV show. A lot of these issues were born out of the COVID pandemic. It was the idea that a lot of these projects were being formed and cultivated in a world before we had all these delays. And so what happened was Marvel was trying to set a foundation while worked their way through all the chaos of the regulations of the travel and all the problems that went with the COVID issues. So what you had was a phase four that was a little disjointed, a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle, right? So here's where Quantum Mania is really the first film that is purely done without any any interruptions, any chaos, any problems. And I think that's a big reason why I enjoyed it because this was the first movie that really set things up for the future. And as you guys know, I liked all the other Marvel properties for what they were. And I think that once I explain some of these things in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that for those of you who have watched the movie, you will understand a little better what was going on in this film. Now, again, if you didn't read the title, this is a spoilers review. I am laying it all out there in this review. I think that the main premise of the movie, which is Scott Lang, who plays Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd, his character kind of has a third chapter growth moment where for the first time in his life, he has to do something not just because of his daughter, not just because of his love for Hope Van Dyne, not just because he cares about Dr. Hank Pym, he does something because it's actually the right thing to do. And I think that evolution from being the guy who got out of prison, who was forced to steal something and had to protect his daughter, 
to the guy who's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do it is a great character development. And them going to the quantum realm, I think, is a great way of going full circle with what you heard about in the first two Ant-Man movies, what you saw in Endgame with the Avengers, bringing it full circle, giving it a full explanation, and the villain of this movie, Kang, gives more substance to everything that you've seen before and moving forward. Now, the real star of this film is not Ant-Man, even though he is the hero, he is the protagonist. The real star of this film is the antagonist. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe lost a little traction. You know, this movie got a horrible review from Rotten Tomatoes and some of the expert reviews, but from the fans, it got a great review because I think that the fans understand that this is part of a larger story, that Kang was the big reveal and the big center point of this movie. And that a lot of people who review movies, they don't understand a continuing story. You know, those same people who didn't like these Marvel movies were the same people who told people the Fast and Furious movies were stupid even though they made billions of dollars at this point. Or the same people who probably had issues with the Harry Potter movies but them making all kinds of money. Or the Lord of the Rings series of films, which all these movies I just mentioned, they have interconnecting stories. So I think as a standalone, these movies are not going to be elite, isolated films. I think that the fact that you have to accept going into this, that these movies are part of a larger story. If you are jumping in to Ant-Man, I don't know, if missing four or five previous Marvel movies, you're probably going to be disappointed. You're probably going to be left in a real predicament. So let's get into what actually happens in this film. So when they go to the quantum realm, they find out that Kang has been dominating that realm for, they don't really say how long, but it's assumed about 30 years because of what Janet Van Dyme says. And she explains that he was, he was really the reason why she had not said anything to her family about what happened down there because of her experience with him. And you find out that the threats that Kang is alluding to in the trailers for this movie actually have more to do with Janet than they do with Scott Lang. And this is where Marvel does a great job at, you know, misdirection when it comes to their trailers. They're not lying to you. They're not mistelling anything. They're misdirecting. And you find out in the movie that Janet, because she had been down there for so many years, she had learned to survive, she met Kang, he lied to her, she find out the truth of what he really is and who and what he was, and she decided she had to fight against him. And then along the way, she decided that if she could find a way home, that was more important to her than staying in the quantum realm. And for all its purposes, it's not a horrible narrative, but I think that was one of the things that people had problems with. I think that the thing that people, the issue that people have with the Janet Van Dyme, I didn't tell you the truth because narrative, was because I think a lot of those people don't understand how traumatic experiences impact people. A lot of times, and it's not, I'm not making an apples to apples comparison, but if you talk to people who have been through traumatic circumstances, through different things in their lives, 
you find out over time that whether it's a soldier who comes back from war, whether it is someone who, like, let's say someone gets stuck in a mine for X number of days, and then they don't see sunlight for all that time, and then finally they get brought back to the surface. Or, you know, somebody who went through a, a traumatic health scare, uh, and they came out the other end, and they're, and they're emotionally and mentally scarred from it. These people who go through these experiences don't understand how to verbalize their fears and their worries to their people they love because they want to be present in the moment. I think that's what Janet Van Dyme's character was trying to verbalize to her family when she was explaining, look, this is who Kang is. This is the problem with Kang. This is why he's dangerous. And I'm trying to help you understand why I never wanted to tell you about him. Now, if she would have told them the truth all along, maybe Cassie Lang, Scott's daughter, doesn't make the device that sends a signal down to the quantum realm that eventually pulls them back into this universe that Janet Van Dyme was trying to avoid. So I think that that is one area of the movie that was very interesting because you see the relationship between Janet and Kang that it's not a relationship of love. It's not a relationship of need. It's not a relationship of friendship. It's not a relationship of empathy. It's a relationship of I understand you, you understand me, and we have an understanding of what has to be done for us to get out of here. And it's a little similar to what you saw if you remember back to the first Iron Man movie where Jensen and Tony Stark worked together to make the first Iron Man suit. And it wasn't because they had this great personal connection. It wasn't because they needed each other necessarily. It was because they knew that without each other, they would not be able to escape the hellhole they were in. And it's kind of the same way with the quantum realm. But when Janet finds out that Kang is actually, for lack of a better term, the greatest nightmare she had ever encountered personally. Because remember, Janet and Hank Pym, they were snapped out of existence by Thanos in Infinity War. So, follow me for a second. Neither one of them encountered Thanos as we, the audience, know him. Because Thanos was a nihilist. Thanos was a guy who thought that he was wiping out half the universe to save the universe from destroying itself. Kang operates in a similar vein. You find out in the movie that he wants to fix the multiverse because his... His other Kangs, the variants, as they call them in the Loki season, and they're referring to them moving forward, these different versions of himself across the multiverse are messing with the multiverse, they're destroying the multiverse, and they're going to destroy everything because of what you heard about in the Doctor Strange movie, Incursions. And you find out in this film that everything that you have seen up to this point may not be the hero's faults. Those incursions might not be Doctor Strange's fault, as you heard mentioned to him by Cleo at the end of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You go back and watch Spider-Man No Way Home, you realize that what happened with the multiverse actually might not have been Spider-Man's fault or Doctor Strange's fault in that movie. What you saw in Loki might not have been fully his fault. Moving forward, you look at what happened in all these films starting to realize, wait a minute, 
how much of what happened was the heroes making mistakes and how much of it was Kang's variants messing with the timeline? Because if Kang has been stuck down there for a few decades, what that means is his variants that you see later in the film are actually the ones behind messing with timelines, causing incursions, and that maybe they're using people in these universes as pawns, and that is why the real villain is Kang, but it's also not Kang. And I'll get to that point in just a couple minutes, but let's progress on the story. You find out throughout the film that basically there has to be a showdown between the heroes and the villain. It's the, it's the theme of every superhero story. But the path to getting there is very unusual because throughout the movie, you see a parallel conversation happen between Scott Lang and Kang versus the original interaction that Janet Van Dyne had with Kang, which is Kang, he's promising these people, I can bring you home, I can give you what you really want, I can do all these things for you, or in Scott's case, I will get your daughter out of this you know, prison if you do what I ask, if you help me fix my problem, if you give me back my power, which is this, for lack of a better term, did not use comic-ism, <laughs> comic you know, uh, explanations. Kang has an orb that has something similar to Tony Stark's arc reactor that basically works as a quantum generator, allows him to move across time and space wherever he wants to go. And the reason why I compare it to a quantum, I say it's quantum, but I also say it's like an arc reactor because of how it spins. Remember that the arc reactor, if you ever rewatch Iron Man, the arc reactor functions in a circular motion, but on a horizontal plane. If you remember back to when Tony Stark makes the, the wrist bracelets that get them through time, the travel through time in the quantum realm, the design on the endgame design was also a circular motion. But it was a curved circle. And I don't remember the scientific term they had for it, but there was actually a scientific uh, term they used for how Tony Stark helps him travel through time. Well, if you notice the quantum battery and all the devices that Kang uses are also circles, but they're not horizontal, they are not vertical, they are not linear, and they're not even curved. They are moving independently, which is a symbol of how Kang moves not on a linear line. He can move wherever he wants. And that's what makes him dangerous because, as Janet found out, Kang was going through time and purging timelines. He was murdering millions and billions of people to purify the timelines to stop his variants from messing with the multiverse and destroying the multiverse. And as Kang says, he wants to burn them out of time, which means he doesn't want to just stop his variants from what the bad things they're going to do. He wants to erase them from existence, similar to how in the Loki TV show, He Who Remains established the TVA to 
maintain the sacred timeline, whereas Kang, who is a variant of He Who Remains, he instead doesn't want to just establish a sacred timeline. He wants to keep the multiverse in a certain level of functionality. So basically, Kang and He Who Remains have similar goals. They believe, like Thanos, that they are saving the universe from self-destruction by murdering people. That's what they think. That's their rationale. They think the ends justify the means. Whereas the heroes, like Ant-Man, Wasp, Dr. Pym, Janet Van Dyme, and Cassie Scott's daughter, don't believe that murdering people is... murdering innocent people is a solution to anything. Now, a lot of people don't understand who have talked about reviews, and I'm very angry that the comic nerds out there who claim to be nerds don't understand how to explain this to people. The reason why Kang loses some of his powers is because they literally destroy the mechanism that gives him power in the movie. I don't understand why this is so controversial. I find that a lot of the complaints that people are having about the film is because they don't have the the mind to understand the Marvel method. The Marvel method is how can we keep this simple? How can we simplify this for the audience? And I thought that similar to what they did with the Namor character in Wakanda Forever, how they took a complicated history, they were trying to do the same thing with Kang. Now, I think they did a better job with Kang than Namor because, as people saw, Namor, they rewrote his origin story to avoid any overlaps or confusion with DC's Aquaman. Kang, they tried to simplify that, hey, as you saw earlier in the movie, when Kang didn't have his power, his chair powered up, his quantum battery fully functional, he didn't have access to all of his powers and abilities. But when he does have those tools, he does have things such as techno-based telekinesis. He does have a, a certain level of, for lack of a better term, demigod powers because of his technology. Because remember, Kang is from the future. He deals with future tech. And that's why, moving forward, Kang is so dangerous. It's not just because he's a time traveler. It's not just because he is a function of making all these trips through time, creating different timelines. Kang and his variants all think that they are gods. They think, as he mentions, you know, where he tells Amy at one point, were you the one with the hammer? He doesn't even acknowledge that Thor thought he was a god because Kang thinks, I killed Thor, that makes me a god because Thor is a lowercase g, so I am a uppercase g. Come to find out that, you know, in the comics, you know, Kang always loses because of his hubris. And he does the same thing in this movie. Kang loses because he thinks that he is going to beat these peons, these ant-men, because he is Kang. He is of the future. He is great. He is the master of time. But his ego is what destroys him because Scott Lang is motivated to save his daughter at first. Then he says, I have to stop because it's the right thing to do. When he almost sacrifices his life to stop Kang. And then you see at the end that Hope helps him defeat Kang. They don't kill him. They defeat him by basically 
kicking him inside of his quantum engine. So basically, they're basically in a microverse in the quantum realm, a realm that is smaller underneath the world that we know as the MCU 616 main Earth universe. Now he has been shrunken inside of this quantum generator, which means technically either one of two things happen. He's either going to have to learn how to maneuver his way through the um, throughout the multiverse without the access to the full breadth of his tech or them shooting him inside of the quantum battery probably sped him out somewhere else in time and space. And we'll probably find that out in a later movie. But the larger point of this film was to introduce Kang, show you that he's a threat, and show you that even at the end, Scott Lang is saying, did I do the right thing? Did we, you know, it was Kang right saying that he was going to save the universe? Because again, Scott Lang and the characters of Ant-Man did not have the initial showdown with the Nihilist Thanos. That was Captain America, Steve Rogers. That was Tony Stark, Iron Man. That was Thor from Asgard. That was Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. That was all these other people. Remember, Ant-Man Scott was stuck in the quantum realm when Thanos made the snap. And when Thanos snapped out half the universe, Dr. Pym, Janet Van Dyme, and her daughter Hope were all not around. So as a result of all of this, this was their first opportunity to deal with a villainous threat that we, the audience, have been introduced to before. So... That's some of what I wanted to explain about the movie, and that is I thought they did a great job at taking the character of Kang, which has a complicated history in comics, to say the least, and tried to make it something that said, hey, here's the new Thanos-level villain. Here's why he's dangerous. Now, these heroes are going to prevent him from doing what he wants, but he'll be back, because at the say at the end of the movie, Kang will return. Notice the end of the movie doesn't say Ant-Man will return, it will say Kang will return because I believe, spoiler warning, that in a future movie, Ant-Man Scott Lang will be killed by Kang. And I think that's why you're seeing so many of these young Avengers being introduced because I think part of the conflict that is coming with the future Avengers movie is that there's going to be multiple heroes that get killed, like you saw in Infinity War, and that someone else is going to have to step up. And it's going to be these young heroes like Scott Lang's daughter, Cassie Lang, like Wanda Maximoff's kids that you saw in WandaVision and in Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. It is the same as Stature, who is the grandson of Isaiah Bradley that you were introduced to first time in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I keep going on and on and on. So I think they're going to eventually step up because in the comics, the key to beating Kang is the Young Avengers because... As Kang says in the Ant-Man movie, he has killed Avengers before. But in no timeline has he ever fought the young Avengers. And that's where they have an advantage to try to take him down. Now, on the flip side of all this, as I said earlier in the podcast, you were introduced to the real villain of the film. Not explicitly Kang, but the Council of Kangs. So in the mid credit scene, you were introduced to something that is very famous in comics and that was reprised in a parody version in the Rick and Morty 
television show. And by the way, one of the writers of this movie actually also wrote Rick and Morty. So there's a lot of parallels between Rick and Morty and this film in terms of presentation. And that is the Council of Kangs are all the different variants of Kang from time and space that have been created because, remember, a variant is created when a specific character makes a different decision at a different point in time, creating a brand new multiverse. There are an infinite amount of universes because there are an infinite amount of people who have made an infinite number of decisions over an infinite amount of time. (laughs) So um, that's the big reason why that is the way it works. And the real villain of the film, as you saw at the end, was the council. You were introduced to three specific variants Kang that run the council. It was the older gentleman, Immortus, from the comics, who is the oldest of the living Kangs and is the one that has survived the most of the multiverse wars. Rama Tut, which is the first time Kang traveled back in time, became the pharaoh Rama Tut and decided to basically take over Egypt and in the comics he fights the Fantastic Four. It's probably where the Fantastic Four come into the M- MCU with their film coming up. And then you are introduced to a cyborg-looking version of Kang, which is probably the MCU version of the Scarlet Centurion, which is the version of Kang that lands in the 21st century and fights the Avengers and loses uh, because he was not prepared for what he was facing. It's the first time he ever faced the Avengers. And they're the real villains of the movie because they're the ones that are saying that they are going to go to war with the heroes because the heroes are messing with their multiverse. So I think that the what we're building toward was what you saw at the end of this movie was similar to when you saw Thanos for the first time at the end of the very first Avengers film, which is this is a tease. This is a lead on because what you see coming up is there's going to be all of these skirmishes and these issues that have nothing to do with the Kangs directly but are going to have something to do with building toward the big showdown with the Kang variants and then the return of Kang the Conqueror who will basically take advantage of the situation probably. And so you saw the trailer, the tease for Loki season two. You saw that they're dealing with some of the variants, explicitly Victor Tiling, which was a beautiful Easter egg callback to when uh, a version of Kang got stuck in the past and <laughs> lived in a town in the 1800s and basically tried to fashion himself as greater than um, Edison and all the other inventors of the 1800s because he had future tech and he basically viewed him as a genius, which he is a genius. Uh, but he obviously has the advantage of having future technology. You're also going to find out in shows... In the future, like the Marvels, like, for example, okay, uh, before we ever get to some of these other movies, when you see Captain America and the New World Order, these lower-level, not-Kang-level threats that are going to be dealing with are actually in part byproducts of Kang and the multiverse. So, I thought they did a great job with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I thought it was fun. I thought that there were some very fascinating parallels between the Wizard of Oz and uh, the Quantum Realm. The idea that, you know, the wizard got stuck there and he's been using technology to basically manipulate the people. Uh, A little bit of a similar tact going on there. The Wicked Witch of the West, in this case, would be MODOK. Instead of it being, you know, the Wicked Witch, 
except he helps them take down Kang, which was an interesting twist they put in the film. I thought it was very appropriate based on the larger story. And I thought this movie did a great job of tying together everything you saw before. It brought back things from Ant-Man 1, Ant-Man 2, Avengers Endgame, Loki Season 1, and kind of brought it all together to say, hey, now you're seeing where the Marvel Universe is going with all of these characters. Thanks for watching on my YouTube channel, at Josh Hennig on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share. And of course, you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Give me a five-star review. Send me some feedback, at Josh Hennig on Twitter. Have a great night and weekend. Go watch some Marvel films. I'll catch you guys next time for the Mutant Blitz podcast. Yes.